Good morning. It's so great to be with you today. It's wonderful that we can gather together in the name of Jesus and know his presence here with us. Well, I wonder if you've ever thought that you were a bit too rebellious or too sinful or too, too far gone for God. Well, there's good news if you have. If you've ever thought that maybe God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness isn't big enough to deal with what you've done, then think again. Psalm 51 helps us to see that we are actually more sinful, more flawed, more rebellious than we would dare to think. And God is more loving, more forgiving, more gracious than we would ever dare to believe in our wildest dreams. There is so much in Psalm 51 and in the surrounding events that um, we've started to hear about in David's life. And I would love to unpack it all, but we would be here all day. And so I'm just going to start by putting the psalm in its context. Um, If you do know a bit of the story, then listen again and hear how David was brought to this place of raw repentance. And if you don't know the situation, then prepare yourself to pick your jaw up off the floor because it's horrendous. God made David to be the king. He blessed David richly. David had this kingdom, Israel, and through David's reign, God brought peace and stability to the nation. But then in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read this. Verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The time when kings go out to war. I find it bizarre um, that there's some sort of cultural norm that kings uh, you know, wait out the winter at home. But then, of course, when spring comes, off they go. They all go out to war. But just allowing that to be what it is, it strikes us that King David, when all the kings go out to war, he stays at home. So instead of going out to war, he sends Joab and his army to go and do the kingly thing. And David's staying home to do something else. Well, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah. David's heart begins to stray from faithfulness to God. He sees something he likes. And I say something because she is just an object to him, not a full human being with a family, with a husband, with her own desires. He sees something he likes and instead of stopping himself right there, he pursues it further. David's looking turns to lusting. His lusting then turned to larceny. He steals another man's wife. David has Bathsheba brought to his bedroom. Now, is Bathsheba part of this affair? How would someone say no to the ruler, to the one who has all the power in the room, to the king? Well, there's no suggestion that she did anything other than obey her king. 
And then it becomes more complicated. Bathsheba sends word back to him, I'm pregnant, she says. Hoping to hide his adultery, David brings Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from the war. David hopes that Uriah will come home and sleep with his wife. And then David's sin can be covered up. But Uriah was an honourable man. He refused to go home and enjoy himself while his fellow soldiers were out there on the battlefield. So David pressed further. And he asked Uriah, haven't you come home from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah said to David, the ark of the Lord and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such thing. He's very honourable in this. And so David moves to plan C. He makes Uriah drunk and he hopes that in his drunken state, he won't be so principled. He won't be so honourable. And then he would go home and sleep with his wife. But Uriah stays honourable. He does the right thing. He stays in the servants' area instead of going home. And then, shockingly, David wrote a letter telling the commander, Joab, to take Uriah to the fiercest fighting area and then withdraw quickly so that Uriah would die. David gives this letter ordering his death to Uriah. And Uriah faithfully takes it back to the battlefield. And he gives the letter to his commanding officer, Joab. And Joab follows the king's orders. So David has, has looked at and, and lusted after a woman. He knew fully well that she was another man's wife. And still, he brought her to him. He was then either adulterous with her or or perhaps he even slept with her without her consent. And then to cover up these sins, he gets a man drunk and then has him murdered. In all of this, there is no hint that David listened to or heard his guilty conscience inside. He didn't listen to the promptings of the Spirit of God telling him to say no to sin. He had hardened himself to the truth of who he was becoming, and he hardened himself against God. Now, I do want to point out that because a story like this is in the Bible, it's not uh, endorsing the story. It's not saying that this is good. It's simply a record of what happens when people's hearts go astray and when they give in to temptation. And the final verse of chapter 11 says, The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Then God speaks to David. And I want you to notice that God sent the prophet Nathan to David. And a prophet is one who speaks out the word of the Lord. My Bible actually has the heading, Nathan rebukes David. But it's actually God is the one who does the rebuking through Nathan. And I want to point out that there is power in the word of God. God's word is powerful. And so when David had hardened his eyes, his heart, from seeing the truth about himself, and when David had hardened himself against God, then God simply spoke this word to David, and that made all the difference. 
It's like we read in Hebrews chapter 4. God's word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here at Parisian Church, we want God to make all the difference in our lives. We want what he wants. And so we allow God to speak to us by his word. And so it's very important, not just in our communal setting, but in connect groups and in our own private worship time to open God's word, to listen to his word through the Bible so that we can hear from him and he can transform our lives for the better. Now let's listen to 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Sometimes this is referred to as a parable, and it is like the parables that Jesus uses. But Nathan doesn't tell it to David as a parable. He presents it like a difficult case that the king would be called upon to judge. And that's what we hear next, David's judgment. In verse 5 of chapter 12, David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. That's a powerful word from God. You are that man. You're that man who had everything and yet stole the little that another man had. God had given David a kingdom and so many riches. But David strayed from God. He strayed so far that in his own eyes, He deserved death, as well as paying back what he had done four times over. And that's the context for Psalm 51. I'm going to switch to this mic if that's okay, Gary. So, oh, that's a bit better. God opened David's eyes. His words showed David a reflection of who he had become, And David knew that he was sinful, that he had strayed from God, rebelled and sinned, and he deserved God's judgment. So then having seen the truth, writing Psalm 51, David begins with honesty. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Now, mercy can only be shown to someone who is guilty. David recognises his guilt. Here's someone who lusts, who steals, who commits adultery and murder. 
He's in desperate need of God's mercy. Now, I don't know if any of you can relate to any of David's sins, but in truth, our hearts are all like David's heart. We all do stray from faithfulness to God and to our neighbours. We need to be honest with ourselves. We are guilty of sin like David. If you hear what Jesus says about sin in Matthew 5, he says, Anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery to her in his heart. And in verse 22, he says, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's kind of like murder in the heart. So at heart, we're all murderers and adulterers. In our hearts, we're all sinful like David. Last week, I told you how my big brother stood up against bullies and I benefited. But I can remember other times when I was so angry with my older brother that I felt like I wanted him dead. I felt like a, a, the anger bubbling up in me was like a volcano about to erupt. And that's very similar to the, the murderous desire in David. So I'm sure we can all relate to this sinfulness that's within us because we're related. We're all part of the human family. We all travel this human experience. So we all need mercy. And coming to God like David did, beginning with honesty, is the way to go. Have mercy on me, O God. And then as soon as he recognises his own guilt, David recognises God's character. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David knows that God is a God of amazing love and he has great compassion. David knows that God can deal with his sins. He can blot them out. Now that David has been brought face to face with reality by the word of God through Nathan, he doesn't do what we often do. He doesn't minimise his sin. He doesn't sort of go, oh, it it wasn't too bad. I didn't do as badly as some other people might. You know, King Saul was a lot worse than me. David comes honestly, calling on God's mercy and forgiveness. And recognises that only God can deal with sin. And this is the beginning of David's repentance. To repent is to do a 180 degree turn. Turning from our own ways and accepting God's ways. So then he prays, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David prays confidently that God will cleanse him. Like a shower on the inside, washing away his wrongdoing, the times when he turned his back on God. And then it's very interesting. He says, against you, you only, have I sinned, God. Now, this is not David excusing himself from lust, stealing, adultery and murder. It's just now that the word of God has convicted him of his sin. He's turned his focus from himself to God. And so he doesn't see the the beauty of Bathsheba anymore. He doesn't see the the honour and faithfulness of Uriah. But behind all of this, 
He sees the God that he's turned his back on. When all of those secondary charges of sin are dealt with, only God remains. The one who is outraged by every sin. And it's like seeing that in the Ten Commandments, it's impossible to break Commandments 2 through to 10 without first breaking Commandment number 1. The first commandment is, have no other gods before me. And so every time we steal or lie or covet our neighbour's things, we've put something else in the ultimate place as the God of our life. So David doesn't minimise his sin. But he recognises that brokenness that has always been a part of him. He was sinful, he says, when he was conceived. And in the womb, he had that original sin in him. Original sin can be quite misunderstood, but original sin isn't just that Adam and Eve sinned and ruined it for all of us. But it is that given the same circumstances, we all make that same bad choice. We choose our ways over God's ways. We choose selfishness over generosity. We choose my pleasure over your pain. And then David prays again, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David's confidence in God's forgiveness is incredible. God's cleansing, he believes, is thorough and effective. When God makes us clean, we really are clean deep down inside. But what's this talk of hyssop? Well, hyssop was a plant that was sometimes used a bit like a paintbrush. And it was actually used at the Exodus, at the Passover. And the people used it to paint the blood of the sacrificial lambs over the door frames of their houses so that God, in his judgment, would come and pass over those houses and the people inside. And so using hyssop and the blood of a sacrificial lamb, David believes God can cleanse us whiter than snow, that he can make us pure and holy, taking away our sin and passing over us in the judgment that we deserve. And David's right. And God actually has another lamb who we've already sung about, and his blood makes us clean. About a thousand years later, John the Baptist said, Look, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. God's sacrificial Lamb, Jesus, makes this true for us. Jesus promises washing, cleansing, a rebirth, doing away with our old nature and being born again to a life in harmony with God and his creation. In Psalm 51, David gives us a great example of repentance. He is absolutely confident in God's forgiveness and he's completely honest about the horrors of his sin. David doesn't minimise his sin. He confesses that the person he was when he was committing adultery and murder is the person he has always been. Our temptation is often to minimise 
the confidence in God's mercy and minimise the extent of our sin. But David says that his sin is truly appalling and God's mercy is truly marvellous. And it's not just God's mercy that is marvellous, but God's desire is to restore us completely to an even better place than we were before. So David prays this amazing prayer, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. There's incredible joy being part of God's forgiven family. And so who better to pass on the message of God's complete forgiveness than someone who's experienced it themselves? Someone who has real sin, who's gone into the depths, who's been forgiven themselves, but who was humbled so much that their message isn't coming from someone who's holier than thou. It's coming from a real person. When God has done a powerful, miraculous work in our lives, opening our eyes to our sin, convicting us of where we've been wrong and forgiving us. When we've realised how selfish, how lustful, how murderous, how unkind and violent we have been, even if we haven't acted on all of those impulses, then we see how much greater God's forgiveness is. And we're able to share it then humbly with others. Kind of like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's really worth spending some time praying through Psalm 51 for yourself. Adopting it as your own prayer can really help you to draw close to God and to see that as appalling as your sin and rebellion is, God's love and mercy is greater still. And so I encourage you to set some time aside this week 15, 20 minutes should do it, uh, to spend time in Psalm 51, praying it for yourself. And I want to close as I began. Psalm 51 helps us to see that we are more sinful, more flawed, more rebellious than we would dare to think. And God is more loving, more forgiving, more gracious than we would hope in our wildest dreams. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we recognise that we are all like David, that we all have this original sin in us, that we're tempted to let our anger boil over, let our lust and covetousness uh, turn into action. We're tempted to put ourselves at the centre of everything. But Lord, in David, you've given us a great example of repentance, of turning away from our own ways and turning to your ways. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus, that by your spirit, you make it possible for all of us to return to you. That through your blood shed on the cross, you can make us clean. 
you can restore us to a right relationship with our Creator. We pray, Lord, that we would experience that deep inside. That no matter how far we've strayed, no matter how sinful we've been, your grace is greater still. We pray, Holy God, that we would know that you have made us holy, that we can stand clean, right in your presence and enjoy you forever. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.